0: Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. Good evening, and welcome into the Toasted Tavern. First show of the new year. Excited to be with you, and Actually, both Scott Tobin and I are still a little bit exhausted. Me, for one thing, and Scott for something way more fun and a lot, uh, a lot more enjoyable and exciting. Uh, and actually, we're going to be joined by somebody here in just a second that was uh, a part of that long weekend as well. Before we get to that, Scott, man, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, it was a it was a long but fun weekend. I was happy to be a part of the winter warm up. Uh, was a volunteer for Cardinal Care this weekend, so got to. A, hang out with some players, and have some fun this weekend. And, and it was a good time, and we'll get into some details here in just a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's always a great weekend in January when the warm-up is underway and the fact that it's been gone for a couple of years due to COVID and other rele- uh, reasons why, the strike we won't talk about. Uh, it's good to have everything back. You guys were in a new environment this year, something a little bit different, but seems to me, from what you and I were talking about before the show, a little bit more enjoyable, a little bit uh, – more down to earth a sense uh with with professional athletes yeah I mean it definitely it definitely had its high points it had its perks there were some things that
1: they need to iron out a little bit but yeah it was definitely more of a it was definitely more of a smaller feel you know it was a more it was a more almost like one-on-one environment the players and the fans had I think with the way it was set up for this than it has been in previous years so I think the fans really really enjoyed that part of it.
0: That is awesome and good to hear. And I know another guy that really enjoyed himself, as he always does, because, you know, he's got one of the best jobs in the entire world. That's our guest, Camel is Tom Ackerman, back on the show. I've lost count of how many times you've been on with us, Tom, but it's always great to have you on and uh, a good time of year to talk, you know, baseball when it's actually 60 degrees outside. It's almost baseball weather.
2: Yeah, I came out of the warm up. Hey, guys, uh, great to see you. I came out of the warm up today and I'm like, whoa, it's kind of nice out here. It's great. Sun came out. Wasn't it raining for most of the day? I don't know. I was inside all day. But uh, yeah, it was really great. Um, You know, what a great, great four-day stretch. You know, when you think about the caravan that started on Friday and I was on that and then came back Saturday night back at the warm-up on Sunday morning. And by Sunday afternoon, I was uh, calling a slew women's basketball game and then jumped over to the baseball writers dinner and Got up today and did it all over again. Uh, not to mention coaching my sixth grade girls on Saturday morning or on Sunday morning, I should say. So yeah, there was a lot going on. the uh, The warm up today was one of my favorite days. I thought today was a lot of fun, you know, because I got to spend a little more time. I was there for five, six hours today, and really enjoyed being there from about nine to three, I would say. And really great. I mean, you know, one guy that sticks with me is uh, Jack Flaherty. Yeah. I, I I enjoyed visiting with him today and I have a feeling that we haven't seen the last of the Jack Flaherty greatness. So there's something, something tells me we're about to see something special out of him, just a gut uh, based on what I hear from the team and also from him. So today was a good day. It, It always makes me feel optimistic about the team. There are certainly some holes in the team, but you know, there's the holes in every team. I think that the Cardinals absolutely have a lot to prove uh flair being one of them tyler o'neill being another we could go on and on about that but that's what makes it great you know we, we there's
0: a lot of intrigue when it comes to the cardinals and we'll see if they show up well you Tom, had a lot of one-year deals signed with arbitration and, and just trying to jump on that point real quick scott uh you have guys like montgomery and Flaherty and edmund o'neill all these guys that signed those one-year arbitration deals essentially what what does that tell you about this team kind of going forward? Is this like a, a, a prove it year? A, you know, we're going to go out and try and win this year and then see what happens. Or is this just kind of setting up for what could potentially be a very, very big 2024 winter?
2: It's going to be a very big 2024 winter. It's going to be a big, it, when it comes to the pitching staff, I mean, Who's really gonna still be around unless they start signing extensions? I think just look at Jack first. Another reason why I think he's gonna have a big year. I think this can be, you know, I think it's all come together for him timing wise. He's finally healthy. Um, The Cardinals need him. I think that he's always motivated to succeed, but now that he is healthy and he sees that he's not really sure where he's gonna be in 2024 and beyond, Um, he may be ready to show something here. I I didn't feel that way after hearing him last night and then today in person. I don't know. There's just something that I feel there. But you know, other than that, yeah, I mean, it's just your standard. You got to get these guys signed and get the arbitration deals done and all that good stuff. Um, And I do think that they are keeping it open for if something were to go wrong in the middle of the season. I think that if you believe this Cardinals roster is going to be the same in October, you're sorely mistaken. I, I think that the Cardinals will make some moves as the season goes along to adjust. Uh, would you like them to win the offseason? Sure. But I don't know what that really is. I mean, is that giving somebody a 12 year $5 trillion contract or is it, uh, no, Yeah, or, or is it, uh, you know, doing what you have to do going to get wilson Contreras, taking a shot at a starter and a bat not getting it and then trying to figure out what you have in 23. you can have it either either way but you know i think i've come to understand this is not new york la chicago um you you just in chicago hasn't done a whole lot lately uh this isn't a a market where they just are going to throw dollars around like that although they they, they ride it up there pretty high. They don't get it up in that top 10, top five.
1: So, I got a two part question for you. Going back to the pitching, real quick, Tom. First of all, we were talking about not having anybody under contract next year other, other than Matt's. Do you see somebody or maybe a couple of guys signing extensions, you know, maybe even in spring training this year? And then, secondly, we talked about it maybe being a big trade. Big trade at the uh, trade deadline or during the offseason. Did you happen to see that Ken Rosenthal had an article today that the Cardinals and Marlins had at least opened up negotiations, conversations about a potential trade? Sure. I mean, why wouldn't they? They share the same complex. Skip Schumacher is
2: the manager. uh, I'm sure they know each other. But um, like I said, I think think the season is broken into sections. You have now through the end of spring training, you have opening day through July 4th, let's say, and then July 4th, then you really, you know, that's when you start to figure out what you're doing at the deadline through maybe the start of September, or you could, you could say till the end of uh, October. And then you have the playoffs. So it, it's there are sections to the season, and we'll have to figure out where the Cardinals are by the end of spring training. Do they feel good about this rotation? So then I'll answer your first question in, a, in just a second. But, you know, their rotation depth, let's look at it right now. You have Adam Wainwright. He's not signing an extension. Miles um, Michaelis is 34. Uh, Not saying that's old. I'm just saying, you know, I don't don't know what the answer to that is. Uh, Jordan Montgomery could be a yes. Uh, I I could see that extension coming. Um, I think they probably acquired him in the trade with that thought in mind. Uh, Jack Flaherty, I don't see that happening. Um, And T's got to show, right? He's got to show what he's got. I mean, we haven't seen anything since the end of 19. Love him, but, you know, haven't seen it. And you mentioned Matts. So, what, uh, what an extent? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the I, Jordan Montgomery, I guess. I mean, you know. So I, that's not really even in my mind right now. As much as I want to look at twenty four, I think you got to feel that twenty three is a year where you got to win. I mean, you, it's it's time. I mean, the Cardinals have not won. Um, postseason games on a consistent level and they won a series in 19 against the Braves Um, before that you know where have they been I mean 15 they lost the division series to the Cubs 16 17 18 they came close 14 they lost the NLCS to the Giants so you know they want to get back to the World Series and win it Um, so I, I think 2023 is going to be a wild ride I think you're going to see them Um, make a move or two I really do I think I think they will understand the opportunity that they have with two of the best players in the game on at first base and third base and a rotation and Adam Wainwright's last run um, and then they got their catcher the outfield it could be interesting you got the best prospect in the organization and maybe the best hitting prospect in baseball challenging right field it's going to get really really interesting around here and and fun and nerve wracking and you know conversations and it'll never end. This is this is what we do, but I, I I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it all. I
0: really am. Well, we saw just the excitement around you know Yadi and Albert's final year, and now it's going to be Wayno's final year, probably. So we expect them to go out and, and play hard. But I kind of want to go to the part about you know you talked about so you know twelve year five hundred trillion dollar extensions, and you also look at the questioning that fans do about how money is thrown out there, who they sign, who they don't sign. But we've talked about this a couple weeks ago about how many of the past misses that the Cardinals have made as far as free agents and and even some trades to an extent, but Mo actually seems to have a pretty good eye on who he passes on. Are we just kind of caught up in that, that here and now of we can't appreciate this team has actually not spent that majority of money on really essentially disappointments.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they've made, they've had some misses, you know, we could sit there and go through them if you want, but, you know, we wouldn't, we know who they are. I mean, there have been some contracts and some trades that they made that didn't work. And, you know, they've also traded away some prospects that I think kind of spooked them, you know, Sandy Alcantara, they'd like to have him in this rotation right now. He's the best pitcher in the national league. Um, You'd like to have, yeah, we could sit there and run through the list. Randy or Rosarena, et cetera, et cetera. So I think they're going to give young guys a chance to show what they can do in the outfield, your outfield of O'Neill, Carlson and Newt Barr with the possibility that Jordan Walker could be starting on opening day if he has a good spring training. Um, and by the way, Moises Gomez hit the living daylights out of the ball. A guy hit 39 home runs last year. So that there's going to be some guys challenging for that DH spot too. It should be fun. I even brought up on KMOX. I, I haven't even talked to anybody about this on the team, but I was like, "Can Nolan Gorman learn left field? Like, if he if he figured out how to play second base, can't he? And he's pretty good. Couldn't he play a little left? I mean, is, could it, would it be that much of an adventure? So there's another guy who can hit. Um, anyway, Brendan Donovan can play anywhere. I think they've got some pieces to move around, and I'm not I'm just not that concerned right now about how much money they spent. I guess the only thing would be, should they have gone out and gotten an ace? I think this is a fair question. Should they have? They don't like it. They don't like throwing big money. Quintana's not that guy, by the way. The, we're talking about like Rodon or somebody like that. Could they? Have, should they have thrown a huge contract at a starting pitcher? That's worthy of debate. But I think they got a, a little skittish about major contracts going to a pitcher they've never been a team that throws huge huge contracts like that as a pitcher as far as i can remember um certainly not as long as some of these contracts have been i never thought they would go after a shortstop never even mentioned it on the air once because the shortstop's tommy Edmond, and you have brendan donovan playing second along with gorman and you still have de young on the roster I mean, unless you were trading DeYoung for some reason, um, you know, I just didn't see that happening. I'm not saying that DeYoung's better than some shortstop you would have brought in. I just don't see that happening yet. You know, perhaps they 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 will pull a move, but it all depends on health and availability. So, you know, I'm not. um, I, I see the Cardinals for what they are. They're a team that's always in contention. They're a team that wins divisions. They're fans, and I totally get it. I would love to to drop the hammer on some great players, but their system and their formula has proven tried and true to be a contender every single year. They will never put themselves in a position where they tank, and they're, they're an admirable franchise from that standpoint. Um, I totally get the other side of it. I'm not sitting here and, and defending them whatsoever. I'm just looking at it from a common sense standpoint and saying, you know, look, don't get too crazy now in throwing money around. It didn't work for the Mets last year. They got bounced. didn't work for the Dodgers. They got bounced too. They won a world series in a half season in 20 um, it doesn't always work to just like balloon your payroll to $250 million or 300 or whatever, or a half billion, which is where the Mets are headed. It doesn't, it hasn't proven to be successful. Heck the Braves won the world series and they didn't have a payroll that was blowing the doors off of major league baseball. So, and I don't, I don't know that that is like the slam dunk formula to get it done. Perhaps the Cardinals are on the right track. And as you said, have they tried to get Soto? Have they tried to get Giancarlo Stanton? Have they tried to get David Price? I mean, you go back the last decade, they've, made attempts to make a big splash, but in the end, couldn't get the player. I do think that things have changed a little bit. I think they're a more attractive franchise after Albert Poulos and Yadier Molina trotted through there and showed how special it can be and how you can be embraced after Nolan Arenado said, I'm in. And by the way, I think I'm going to finish my career here if anybody wants to join me. Um, you know, Paul Goldschmidt wins the MVP. It's a great place to play. So, and by the way, all those theories of Bush Stadium is a tough place to hit and it's a pitcher's park. Paul Goldschmidt bashed his way to the MVP. Didn't have a great August or September, but you know, it's not bad. Not a bad place for a hitter either. Not a bad division for a hitter.
1: So, I got a question about a guy you brought up just a few minutes ago. Paul DeYoung, what do you see? What do you see his role being this year? Are they going to give him a shot to try to win that shortstop role, or do you think? They've kind of resigned themselves to the fact that he's more of a backup and a benchman at this
2: point. I think they will say that they're going to give him a shot to compete uh, for whatever role, but I think that it is Tommy Edmonds' job and Brendan Donovan is the second baseman. The only shot DeYoung has is if he comes out flying in spring training, looks awesome, his swing looks way – he can play defense. I don't think there's any problem there but that his swing looks awesome and he comes out and has a tremendous spring training. You could shift Edmund to second base and make Donovan your, you know, Zobrist like with the Cubs, super utility guy who can play anywhere and do anything. And then you
0: could have Paul E.D. as your shortstop. That could happen. Um, Sorry, Jake neighbors just scored in the blues game. That's why I fist popped. That's
2: That's great.
0: (laughs) My wife's at the game right now.
2: Um, And I'm not, Um, but uh, I I think that that could very well be the only shot he has. Now, I actually, it's interesting that you ask, because I talked to DeYoung today for a while, and he seemed very sentimental. I did ask him about being a Midwestern kid and playing with the Cardinals, and he took it a step further and said, you know, I hope I don't go anywhere else. You know, he wants to be here. He loves playing here for this franchise. He wants to be a Cardinal. Um and I think that he's going to give this a go. This is his last go round, his last chance to show what he can do. I'm hearing a lot about how he has worked on his swing and how he's studied and watched video, and I, I love all that. It's great. But until you get into that situation where you're facing those pitchers who are throwing hard for two times – or these great pitchers that go two times through the order, and then you bring in guys that throw 98-100 back-to-back-to-back – you know, then we'll see what he's got. And he's probably going to have to prove it against those guys. He's probably going to have to come in late in the game first and show what he can do in a pinch hitting role or occasionally in a DH role, or maybe he jumps in there as a a shortstop from time to time. But, you know, Paul DeYoung has done this before. I mean, he hit 30 home runs in 2019. He hit a clutch home run against the Cubs late in the season to help them complete a four-game sweep and win the division. He can do this. He just, for whatever reason, since COVID in 2000 where he got COVID and it really sidetracked him big time, um, has not really recovered from that. So hopefully he does. I think he's a likable guy. Good guy. Takes a lot of heat, you know, and – or the Cardinals do, maybe more than he does. The Cardinals do for keeping him around. Uh, but what are you going to do with him? I mean, you know, throw him into a trade? I mean, he's, he's he makes a big salary. So they they – they signed him and they have to now ride this thing out.
0: Uh, and he keeps his head up too. That that's the thing. You know, yeah. some of those guys could just totally get down on it or start bad mouthing or what have you. But through it all, whether it's coming to him or the, the team itself, he always he always keeps his head up for sure. So, so let's talk a little bit about the winter warm-up this past weekend. You know, uh, what was some of the, the more exciting things that you got to experience? I was telling Scott, he sent some pictures over. I really like the, the way it was set up especially where he was at, he was over at PBR, had the, uh, the, this cabin-like feel. It really felt just really authentic and really down home in a sense. But what was your favorite moment from uh, the winter warmup?
2: Uh, I thought for me, you know, I liked my visit with Jack today. I enjoyed that a lot. I, I, I loved meeting Wilson Contreras today. That's probably, I guess that's what I was looking forward to the most. And what I found interesting was while talking to him and I said, you know, let me tell you that, you know, when I'm not, I'm speaking for a lot of Cardinals people here, but when you came up, it was like, he's going to kill us. You know, you just like, he had that kind of swagger about him and you kind of admired it, but didn't like him because he played for the Cubs. Well now the Cardinals have that and he loves that and eats that up. And I think he does bring some very necessary confidence with the loss of Pools, especially, somebody's gonna have to be the third bat in this order. Somebody. It could be Tyler O'Neill, but it could be Wilson Contreras. Yeah, he can do a lot of great things for you, and perhaps he's the bat. But I thought that was fun to see him and visit with him. And then Jack came up and shook his hand and met him. And uh I talked to Jack and I said, What do you think of Wilson? What do you think of Wilson Contreras? He goes, I actually just met him a minute ago. Like, what? That's awesome. And so, you know, they've played against each other, but actually sitting there talking to each other, that was the first time. Then I talked to Drew Verhagen, and I asked him what he thought of Contreras as his catcher, and he said, I just met him five minutes ago. So I thought that was cool. I mean, right right at our KMOX location. So I guess what I'm telling you is my favorite thing about the winter warm-up, whereas maybe I, when I first started covering it 20-some years ago, I'm aging myself, but I was there from the very beginning of the warm-up, And i was so concerned about doing my job and you know cutting tape and and redditing interviews and doing what what we needed is that i i did not soak in the interaction player to player and watch them a little bit i was so interested in attending the press conferences and doing interviews and all the stuff that now i'm a little more observant so i like to watch the players see each other for the first time i i watched the players while they were on caravans together seeing the players see each other at the hotel and all that kind of stuff. And it truly is neat to see them reconnect. Every single year is a new team. Every single year when the season comes to an end, sadly, that's the last time that group will be together. Players will depart, and players will come in. And so that's what I like about the winter warmup the most is I love the interaction with the fans. I love all that. I love visiting with them myself. The fans of the Cardinals are the best but I mostly like watching the players now get back together and, and, and talk ball. You like, you can hear them sort of, you know, off mic before we are on the air just sort of chatting. they have that, they, they, they just understand the game, the, especially on the caravan, I noticed this, they are bigger fans of the game and of the little intricacies of the game than we even realize they know, so much about what's going on out there obviously they play the game we think we do they have access to so much and this is what they do
1: for a living it is fascinating to be close to it tom did you get a chance to spend any time with jordan walker and his family today because i actually got to spend a couple hours with him before during his signing process and then before and after yeah he's,
2: he's another one i did visit with him today so he would be a highlight too um, I actually met him for the first time on Friday. So before our caravan left, I said, who's on that bus in front of us? And they said, that's the bus going to Memphis. It's Walker and Tank Hens. And, uh, you know, they're on there already. And so I said, I'm going go over there and say hi. So I went on their bus and, and introduced myself to Jordan because I had only seen him on tape. I mean, I, I hadn't been to any of his games. I've just watched him. And my first impression was this guy looks like a 30-year-old man. I mean, he is a big dude. He's huge. He's not like Aaron Judge, but he could, you know, fill out to that kind of frame. Big guy. And then when I got to talk to him, which really was briefly there, but then last night at the Baseball Writers Dinner and again today at our KMOX broadcast location, I was really impressed with how well-spoken, how smart, how thoughtful, how engaging, how – pleasant how um fun he is and i heard great things about his interactions with the fans in memphis and then watching him today visiting with everybody and talking to us was really a pleasure and not to mention the guy can flat out hit i i asked gordon gracefo and he said i've never heard a ball come off the bat like like his he said it's like a rocket every time um Walker is going to be a special talent. I I think we probably shouldn't put too much expectation on him just yet until he gets out there. But he really, like we were looking out into the stadium and you could see, I said, you're that close. And he said, you know, I just, I can't wait. I mean, I just, just thinking about being out there with all those fans is exciting. He also said that Mason Wynn is a very, very exciting talent. He said, Mason has great power. He said, I think people are going to be surprised. Everybody talks about his arm and his speed and all this athleticism. Great power, he said. He he had a couple off the scoreboard. I mean, this guy can absolutely hammer it. So that's fun, you know, with him and Gomez and, and Walker and others. I think you're going to have a heck of a group here coming up pretty soon.
1: Yeah. Going back real quick just about Jordan and the kind of kid he was, I was telling Wags before we came on the show, The coolest thing I saw all weekend and probably the neatest thing you'll see in sports, he had his dad and his grandma and his brother and sister and everything right there behind him on stage. The fans were literally, after they got his autograph, walking over to his parents and thanking them for what a great kid he raised. And I saw tears in his grandma's eyes a couple of times and they were so proud. And that was just cool for me to see that, how excited and how proud his family were of what a great kid they'd raised.
2: Yep, his family introduced him to the game. His family drove him to practice. His family paid the money to get him into baseball and tournaments. And his family has been his support group. And I love that he brings his family with him. So I sense a theme there. I think we're going to see a lot of the Walker family at the ballpark down in Jupiter and in St. Louis. And I'm really excited about this. I I think he is going to be one of those names that we talk about for a long time. I do. I, I just, you can see that he is something uh, different. You know, he, he has, uh, if you watch his games, um, he has a very, very uh, unique bat. You know, only a few guys really do what he does. Uh, he, and And he's so young and he's just going to get better and better. I'm not saying he's going to come out of spring training, but if he does look out. You know, if he makes this opening day roster, it's reminiscent of somebody else back in 2001. I don't want to like, you know, say that he's going to be that guy, but that that's that uh, the hype around Jordan is way more than it was around Albert. Albert kind of emerged very, very quickly and then just, you know, showed up in 2001 and the rest was history. I, I wouldn't expect anybody to ever be at that level, but I think he could be a very, very good major league player.
1: Yeah, Jordan has
2: not only his ability, but what you were just talking about. He's just got a great support group, head on his shoulders, um, great attitude, big big time competitor.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the first questions he got asked today. About a six-year-old kid walked up to him, looked him right in the eye, smiled at him, and said, I heard you're supposed to be the next Pujols. holes And nah. Jordan just Jordan just laughed at him and said, Well, I'll do my best. So that was a pretty neat moment, too. Yeah, well, that's cool. Well, Tom we would love to sit here and spend all night talking baseball with you. We love to do that, but uh, we know you've had a busy weekend and a long, uh, long week and we know you've got a busy day tomorrow. So we're going to let you get out of here. Thanks as always for joining us and uh, have a great uh, rest of your night and a great week. And we'll look forward to talking more baseball with you as we get closer to the season.
2: Well, I appreciate it very much. You know, I, after all the, the off season, which went by pretty quickly, it's fun to get the baseball wheels turning again. You know, now that you see everybody and you start drawing up lineups and rotations in your head and think about what the trade deadline is going to look like. And, you know, you start thinking ahead. It it is a lot of fun. The Cardinals are um, an absolute giant. And, you know, with that comes high, high expectations. And I think that they should always be held accountable and to a very high standard. And it sure is fun talking about them. I mean, there's just, There's nothing like it. For those of us that grew up in St. Louis, this is part of who we are. So it's great. I appreciate always coming on and talking about it.
0: Thanks, Tom. Thanks guys. Tom Ackerman from Camlex. Always a joy to have him on. (laughs) We're just happy that he was able to join us for just a short amount of time. I know it was a long, long weekend for not only him, but you as well, but uh, always appreciative of him coming on and talking shop and just, Kind of letting us know what's going on in the world of sports, especially the Cardinals. But he's got his hand in almost everything when it comes to the, uh, the the local sports scene. He really does. You know, he does
1: basketball. He does the Billiken stuff. He does that. And not only not only just the sports thing, you know, he does a lot of news at KMOX in the mornings as well. So he's a busy, busy man, but always has time. You know, we talked to him last week, said, hey, maybe we'll catch up this weekend. Maybe we can do something. I didn't bother him all weekend. I thought, okay, we'll we'll see what happens happened to see him today and walked up and was just going to say hi. And the first thing he said was, Hey, so you want to do something tonight? I was like, sure. If, if it works for you, let's do it. So, you know, can't be more thankful. He's been amazing to us for the last couple of years. And uh, we just couldn't say more nice things about him or be more thankful to Mr. Tom Ackerman.
0: Very, very true. And his, uh, one of his co-hosts at uh, X Matt met down in, in our neck of the wor- woods from a few years ago down in the Cape Girardeau area with the caravan down there tonight. So hopefully everything goes well down there for them and everybody has safe travels as well. That, that's a great event that they put on as well. Something I think that kind of gets a little underlooked when it comes to the events that the Cardinals are able to put on because that's something that teams just don't necessarily always do. I mean, a couple of the other organizations do some outreach and travel to the, you know, outer regions of their of their fandom in a sense but something the Cardinals done for a very very long time getting not just you know star players but you know minor leaguers that are coming up coaches former players former coaches all of that just to get out there and, and say hey yeah we we know that we're far from you when it comes to when we play but we know we have fans out here we're going to bring our, our brand to you and show you how much we appreciate you yeah absolutely and actually, that
1: came up in my, my memories today with some of uh, the pictures yes. from uh, from our day at the caravan down in Cape. Can you believe that's been six years ago that we were hanging out as young radio people, just excited that we were down there getting to do that, and be backstage, and see people. And man, but yeah, good memories for sure. And that is definitely an event. If you live in one of those areas, you want to get out there and see the caravan because that is, that is a neat event that the Cardinals do.
0: It sure is. I know I remember when, when it came down, I was there and uh, my boss at the uh, at the station that night goes, all right, you're going to go ahead and introduce everybody. I'm like, OK, that sounds cool. <laughs> that was great, but it was pretty cool because I, I got a chance to, to say hi to Scott Cooper that night and uh, Scott played with my uncle at Pattonville uh, for baseball. Uh, unfortunately my uncle was there the year before they won a state championship, unfortunately, but it was really nice getting a chance to see him and say hi and just, you know, tell him my uncle said hi and all that's and all that as well. So just another great piece that, uh, that gets put out there and it's going to be great talking about the Cardinals going forward here because there are a lot of expectations. There's a lot of excitement that's kind of going around them, even with the, I know I'm going to say lack of moves that got done in the offseason, but but like Tom said, it almost feels like they, they made the strategic moves that they needed to make, and they didn't bite on something that may have hamstrung them for the next five, six, seven years. So you kind of look at it and you go, okay, it's not exactly the offseason that fans wanted, but I think when this team breaks camp and, and heads up here to St. Louis that we're going to be looking at it and going, okay, wait a second. You've got multiple gold gloves in the field. You've got a catcher that's coming in who has the same fire and energy that a guy that played here last year had for a long time here in Yadier Molina. You've got such studs as Arenado and Goldschmidt in that lineup. Plus, you've got a couple of young guys, both on the pitching staff and in the field and in the lineup, that can possibly come in and do some damage at some point this year. It's not the big sexy names and the big contracts that are here, but this team could be something special in a very, very winnable division.
1: Yeah, it really could. And, you know, we have to remember, too, that even though we're in the middle of January, the offseason's not over. The offseason's not over until you get to March 31st. You know, and like we said, there are rumors floating around that they're at least having some conversations with the Marlins about one of their pitchers. It's kind of been speculated. as Pablo Lopez. So, you know, that other big move that we've all been waiting for, you know, and Mo has said a couple of times this weekend, you know, they expected to make some other moves. Things just didn't work out. That other move still could happen, you know, whether it's in spring training or whether it's, you know, at the trade deadline. But I will be pretty shocked, honestly, if there's not another starting pitcher and a big name starting pitcher at it, at least by the trade deadline, because I think that's the one thing this ball club's still really missing.
0: I think you're 100% right. I mean, even Tom said something along those lines where I, you could feel he was confident in the in the rotation that they were going to have, but if you could get somebody that could come in and is a legitimate ace, and then if you get a chance to see, you know, Flaherty does step back up into his role, and you already have an ace on the team, and then you get another ace, in a sense, in Flaherty, with Wainwright and Michael is kind of backing that up, I mean, all of a sudden you've gone from a team that people have questions about to a team that could very much be the top of the National League. And that's that's kind of saying something considering some of the teams that are out there. But you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Padres, you look at the Braves, you look at the Mets. Yeah, all these teams that are ahead of the Cardinals in a sense may actually not be. I mean, due to injuries, you know, performance, any of that kind of stuff. I mean, any of those teams can falter at a moment's notice, and all of a sudden the Cardinals are just chugging along, chugging along, chugging along, and then they're right there at the end. Yeah, and I mean, you look around. You and I kind of talked about this
1: off-air the other day. You look around at the National League, and some of those teams that are supposed to be the powerhouse teams actually got worse this offseason. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no question that the Dodgers are not the same team that they were last year. You know, the Braves really didn't do anything. You know, they made the trade for Murphy, but they gave up a young a young catcher in Contreras' brother that was yep. involved in that trade. So they that kind of evens out, and then they lost some pitching. Uh, you know, the Mets, we all know what a train wreck the last couple of weeks of their offseason has been. I mean, you know, they made some big moves to their pitching staff, but really when you look at it, all they did was replace guys that left. Yep. You know, I mean, for the most part, I mean, Verlander replaces DeGrom. Quintana re- replaces Bassett. You know, the guy they brought over from Japan replaces Taiwan Walker. So, basically, you've just lost three guys and brought three guys in, and then you re-signed Brandon Nemo. So, basically, or Nemo, however you want to pronounce his last name. I like to call him Nemo. It makes me think of the little orange fish from the Disney movie. Oh, um, you know, but, I mean, basically, they're the same team that they were last year. They got knocked out in the first round. You know, the two teams that have done a lot are the Phillies, which, you know, Trey Turner adds a lot to their team. Although, you know, Bryce Harper's probably going to be out till the All-Star break. And they've backloaded their bullpen. The Phillies' bullpen is going to be really scary now. The other team that spent money, and I'm still not sure exactly what they're doing. I mean, the Padres are just like, oh, you're a free agent? Here, come here. We don't have anywhere to play you. But, you know, I mean, they're just adding guys left and right. And it's like, what are they going to do with all of these guys? You know, they signed Nelson Cruz the other day. So now you have Nelson Cruz and Matt Carpenter to be your D.H.'s on a team that you already had like four too many guys on, you know, it's like, you know, and again, they're doing the same thing. You know, they replaced Josh Bell and they replaced Eric Hosmer with these guys. I mean, they made a big move by bringing in Xander Bogarts, but where exactly is Xander Bogarts playing? Because you're going to have Fernando Tatis at some point. I mean, I guess Tatis could play the outfield. You know, Machado's not going anywhere, although – You know, everybody now saying that Machado is going to opt out next year and that he's going to go to the Mets, which, you know, there's another story for next year that we can already start talking about. And then some random injury will happen to Manny between now and then and won't pass his physical. But uh, so, you know, I mean, a lot of teams in the National League just kind of just kind of filled in and replaced and I'm not sure they got a whole lot better. So I think the Cardinals are right there. I mean, Contreras definitely makes your lineup better and you know you look at this cardinal team and you're like holy cow if some of these guys live up to some of the expectations I mean I saw I saw a prediction for Lars Newpar the other day batting leadoff and they had him hitting like 280 with 24 home runs and 25 double I mean if Lars Newpar turns into that player offensively and you have him and you have Goldie and you have Arenado and you have Contreras and Tyler O'Neill's healthy and Dylan Carlson and maybe Jordan Walker and Gorman and Yepes, and it's like, holy crap, where does it stop this team? I mean, you look at that, you know, there's eight guys that could hit 30 home runs in this lineup. when You start naming all of these guys. Um, so this lineup does have the potential to be really scary. Did they go out and spend a ton of money on their lineup? No. They went and filled the hole that they knew they needed to fill with Contreras. And then, you know, everybody's going to say, oh, it's a hope and a prayer with all these other guys. Yeah, it is, but it's not like, you know, we were talking about thirty-five year old guys that have been hurt and they have no upside. You're talking about a bunch of guys in their early to mid twenties that, you know, haven't hit their peak yet, and when they do can be really scary. I mean, I don't know how many people I heard talking about Dylan Carlson this weekend and they're like, Yeah, you know, he's done. The Cardinals screwed up. He's twenty three. What are you talking about? He's done. You know, I mean people People are just so ready to jump off the bandwagon as soon as a guy doesn't hit their expectations the first week. And like Tom said, people are going to have to really kind of hold their expectations down on Jordan Walker, too, because as good as he's going to be, he's only 20 years old and he may not be a superstar the second he gets here, which I'm pretty sure I had this exact same spiel when Dylan Carlson came up a couple of years ago. And the same thing with Nolan Gorman, you know, how many people have you heard of giving up on Nolan Gorman already because he strikes out a lot? Well, we knew he was going to strike out a lot, but he also hit 14 home runs and like 200 at bats, which, you know, if you grade that out to a season is like a 35 home or 85 RBI guy that's 22 years old, you know? So, I mean, there's tons of potential on this team and I'm excited to see where it goes. I think it's going to be a fun, fun year.
0: And not only that, he, learned and started to learn to play second base at the major league level this year. so I mean right. to to not only have that but then also worry about facing major league pitching to get what you got out of him is a, a very nice piece as well. It, it shows you the maturation that he's able to do and what what he potentially can do going forward. so yeah, you've got these younger guys that are gonna have to adjust and it's one thing to go to triple a. it's a whole other thing to go to the majors. so, it will definitely be something that we'll need to to watch and be patient on in a sense. And I know that's hard to say considering it's been so long since this team won a championship or even really was successful in the playoffs. So, I get it, but maybe one more year and all of a sudden you might be in a really really good spot. So, we'll talk more about the Cardinals as, you know, the the year goes on and we get into spring training which is crazy enough just about a month away. I mean, it's always hard to believe that, you know, the middle of February is when spring training starts, but it is just about here, but we got to talk about some more sports because a lot of stuff is still going on right now. Uh, and as we were talking with Tom, you know, Jake neighbors scored a goal for the blues, put them up one, nothing. And then Noah Shari ended up uh, capitalizing on a goalie misplay in front of the net, put it home for a two, nothing lead. Blues are wrapping up the first period, trying to kill off a penalty, but this is a, uh, a team that's kind of, in a sense, a little bit like the Cardinals in that the expectations have been high and they haven't been able to kind of put anything together consistently this year or really the last year and a half. And you start looking at this team and thinking, okay, where are we at with them? Are we at a point where this team is looking to maybe just kind of reload? Or are they a team that might get ready to, to move into a potential rebuild? Because you've got guys like Tarasenko and O'Reilly that are coming off the books next year. You just signed a couple of your young players to big-time contracts. You've got a lot of defensemen under contract as well. But you're not where you're at or where you want to be at right now at, at this point in time. So the trade deadline's coming up in, in about a month and a half or so. Is this team going to be a buyer, a seller? or um, Are they just going to be... What, what are they going to be at when it comes to the deadline? And what are we looking at for next year?
1: Oh, there's so many questions about this team. I know. And and you don't know what to think because just about the time you're like, you're done and you're like, oh yeah, we're selling everybody. They decide to go out and win three or four in a row. And then you're like, (laughs) okay, now we're a playoff team. Oh wait, now we're going to lose three in a row. You know, you know, it's just been a roller coaster. Um, You know, I think, I almost think as much as you hate to say it, I almost think you have to trade O'Reilly and Teresinko at the trade deadline. I mean, I, I'm not sure that you're going to sign him long-term. I mean, we know they're not going to sign Teresinko long-term. I don't think-
0: Well, I think I may have just lost Scott here for just a second. We'll see if we can get him back on. Uh, but t- to his point, you know, Teresinko and O'Reilly are guys that are likely not coming back next year. And, you know, Teresinko's... Due to come back on Thursday, likely. And all right, I got you back, Scott. Not sure what happened there. I was like, (laughs) well, I didn't
1: like what I was saying. Decided, uh, oh, yeah, I I think you got to move on from both of those guys. I mean, moving on from Brian O'Reilly is going to be hard. You know, he is the guy that came in here and basically was the, you know, I mean, he was the leader. He's the guy that got you that Stanley Cup finally. But, you know, we know that Doug Armstrong is not is signing veteran guys to long-term contracts. And he's definitely not going to let his heartstrings make that decision for him. You know, we've seen that happen multiple times. He's, he's cold hearted when it comes to making these kind of decisions. And so I think you've got to move on and try to get as much as you can from both of those guys. The question is with them being injured and, you know, O'Reilly kind of taking a step back a little bit this year, how much can you get from him? You know, I, are you only gonna be able to get draft picks? Can you get a draft pick and and a prospect or a draft pick and a player that's already in the league? You know, what exactly are you looking for when you decide to make those decisions? And, you know, are they the only ones that go? Do you go ahead and try to move a guy like Barbie as well at the trade deadline? I mean, and I'm sure you'd like to move some of those defensemen that we talked about that are high priced, but let's be honest, there's not really any of those guys that are playing well enough that anybody's gonna to want to take on those contracts.
0: No, they're really not, and it it kind of takes me back to the year that this team was in playoff contention, and they ended up trading Paul Stastny at the deadline. And you know, people looked at it at the time, going, "Dude, you were you were in contention for a playoff spot. Why are you trading a guy like Paul Stastny, your best faceoff guy, a, a veteran, a big time presence in the lock?" And Armstrong's essentially like, "Look, I didn't think our team could compete." So we got what we could get to help our team for the next year as well. And if we get into the playoffs and make a run, all well and good. And I got a feeling that's going to be the same sort of mindset this year as well. Because as you said, O'Reilly and Tarasenko very likely not coming back. So what can you get for these guys? I think Tarasenko actually may draw some good interest. And as crazy as it sounds, even with him being hurt and, and being out with a broken foot, Somebody might actually throw a good deal at you for Orion O'Reilly. You know, the, the rumors of you know Toronto has been a team that has been floated out there as somebody that might look at Orion O'Reilly. And that's because they need some more veteran leadership there. They need a guy that has won a Stanley Cup to go into that team and, and maybe even solidify it and give them a push in a sense. But I, I I don't think you can expect to get the moon for these guys. Obviously, you're not trading O'Reilly back to the Sabres for Tage Thompson, but You're going to get something of value for them, I think, especially considering Tarasenko is probably coming back on Thursday. You're going to have a couple more weeks to showcase him, whereas O'Reilly still is out with that broken foot. So how much are you going to be able to say, hey, look, he looks healthy. He looks back to the old Ryan O'Reilly of the last couple of years. Now you can give him something good for him. That's going to be the big question going forward is what can you get for them? And, you know, I'd say Barbashev is a guy you could trade as well, but he's just like some of these defensemen. He hasn't, he hasn't shown a whole lot this year after having essentially a career year last year. He's going to need to to step up a little bit if he wants to get something of value uh, come the trade deadline. Otherwise, I, he's going to either get traded for a bag of pucks or he's going to stick around with us.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. You know, You know, there were some people that wanted to trade him last year when his value was so high and everybody's like, no, you can't do that. And then you come back into this year, like you said, he's just kind of Fallen off the cliff this year, which seems to happen to a lot of these Blues players. You know, everybody kind of thought this was going to be another year that you were in contention for a cup. It just hasn't worked out. The defense, you know, it seems like we keep trying to fix this defense. We keep trying to sign a guy here or there or whatever, but, you know, the defense is just kind of in shambles right now, and our offense has never really been able to get into a really solid groove, so there's just a lot of questions and you know, I'm glad Doug Armstrong's is the one that has to make these decisions and not me because I'm, I'm really torn as to what you would do if it, if it was me because I'm not really sure which way you should go.
0: Well, whichever direction that they go, um, I don't think fans are going to be happy. They're going to go, oh, what are they doing? Or they're going to make a bunch of trades and the other people are going to go, oh, what are they doing? So It is going to be a very interesting next, really next couple of weeks. I mean, they're wrapping up this homestand right now. It's a seven-game homestand. They're one and two at the moment, although they do have the two nothing lead on the Senators after one. And if they do hold on to tonight's win, they'll become the eighth franchise and just the second non-original six team to reach two thousand wins as well. So that'd be a big accomplishment, considering it kind of it was alumni weekend this weekend with the Hall of Fame inductions on Friday and them dropping the puck on Saturday night as well. So The fact that they lost that game against Tampa on Hall of Fame night, but if they're able to come back and pick up that 2000th career victory uh, on, in the game against Ottawa, I think that's a a decent wrap up of, you know, alumni weekend in a sense here in St. Louis. So it should be very interesting to see, especially considering you got Nashville and Chicago coming in on Thursday and Saturday two big, big divisional games uh, that are coming up here, especially considering you're sitting one point ahead of Nashville at the, at this moment. So, uh, another another couple of big games for the Blues before they face off against Buffalo next Tuesday.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, you got to take every game at one at a time, but at this point, you just got to go out there and play your best hockey and try to win as much as you can and just kind of see what happens. That's all really all we can do at this point because you just don't know because, like we said, we've been riding a roller coaster
0: all year with this team. Yep, that, that's about all you can do. So, all right. Now we got to get to what was the wildest part of the weekend, which was wild card weekend in the NFL. Um, some of the most epic comebacks, failures, games that I think we've seen on wild card weekend in, in a very, very long time. And that's very surprising considering the amount of injuries, the amount of third string quarterbacks that were starting in these playoff games as well. Um, we got some incredible. Incredible games starting off with Seattle and San Francisco on uh, Saturday afternoon. They uh, got things going. Seattle kept it close at halftime before San Francisco ran away with it. Then you had the nightcap. Chargers were up big and then decided that they were just going to go ahead and go to sleep and say, We won the first half. That's good enough for me. Trevor Lawrence flipped the script through four picks in the first, through four touchdowns in the second half. Uh, a big comeback for them. And then yesterday, you had the Bills really kind of surviving against the Dolphins. You had Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Guess what? They choked again and they were a home team again and seemed to choke away a game. And then last night I'm calling last night, the tail of the microchip just because of that play at the goal line and what ended up being the difference that Bengals fumble recovery for the essential game winning touchdown.
1: Yeah. Just, just crazy games all the way around. I mean, what San Francisco is doing with Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback is is pretty amazing. The kids, Joe cool out there. He just nothing seems to phase him and they're rolling. Are you starting to buy in yet? We went back and forth on the whole Trevor Lawrence thing for a couple of years. I told you he was gonna be good. You said you didn't see it. Are you starting to see it now? The guy, the the guy, the guy's gonna be a stud. He's probably I was thinking about this last night. I think he might already be the fifth best quarterback in the NFL. I really do. Um, so, you know, there's that with them. And then the other two games, you know, you talk about the Bills and what they did. And I'm starting to worry about Buffalo. They're playing sloppy football. I don't know what to think about them. Cincinnati barely survived. I, I'm worried about them. And then Minnesota, how? Somebody explained to me how when you have a timeout and you come back out and it's fourth and eight, you go, okay, Kirk, Fourth and eight. This is the game. We want you to throw the ball to your tight end three yards down the field, and then see if he can break man on man and run for the other five yards to get a first. Like who draws up that play and goes, "Yeah, this is a great idea."
0: I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I honestly don't know what they were thinking in that Vikings game. And you know, you and I were talking a little bit today about the fact that you know both of us. When we were making our picks, you know, we both picked the Vikings to win that game because we thought, okay, they're at home. They've had a good season. Kirk Cousins has done what he needed to do. And, and honestly, he had a good game. He didn't have a bad game oh, in, a, in a sense. Just the Giants were just that much better. They were a more physical team, and they really just kind of took it to them. But I think both of us were sitting there going, yeah, we kind of thought about picking the Giants in that game because we thought they had a, a potential. I mean, they were the underdog that no one was talking about. They were essentially the third team in the NFC East. Everybody was talking about the Eagles and the Cowboys. And honestly, a lot of teams were even, people were even talking about the commanders as well. And no one really talked about the Giants. But that's because, you know, a year ago, they were basically kneeling the ball down instead of trying to run a play. And now they're heading to the, you know, the next round of the playoffs. And it's because they've got a healthy Saquon Barkley. They've got a Daniel Jones who's doing his best Eli Manning impression right now, just really kind of managing the game, making the throws that he needs to, and being just elusive enough to not go down. I don't think he was sacked in that game yesterday at all. So, you know, they're they're a little bit of a a sneaky under-the-radar team. Wouldn't surprise me if they go into Philadelphia and beat them as well. Although, if Jalen Hurts is healthy, uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. But as we saw in almost every single game this weekend, it doesn't matter what kind of quarterback These elite or not if you go out there and play hard you're you're gonna potentially win that game and yeah I just that Ravens Bengals game wow um that was that was a pretty good one as well uh you gotta give it to, to Huntley for really keeping his team in it as long as he can and honestly they almost made that play at the very end of the game to potentially send it to overtime uh yeah but the Bengals do worry me they're they remind me of the 2019 Chiefs in a sense that a lot of expectations and very high up there, but maybe might lose in a way that they're not supposed to. But I think they have the best defense of the remaining teams in the AFC, so that's definitely a feather in their cap going forward. And then going going to the Trevor Lawrence thing. I I mean, I I was talking to my dad about this yesterday. I still don't think he's going to be an elite quarterback. I don't think he's going to be a great quarterback, but – but – You look at what he did on Saturday. First playoff game, it was a home game, lots of emotions, things were running high, those four interceptions in the first half. But then flips the switch, looks at the video, makes adjustments, and just goes out there and plays. And he ended up leading his team back to a victory. I mean, that right there definitely has to say something about who he is and, and what he can do, and then the fact that he finished it up by going to the Waffle House afterwards—I mean, that that's just legendary right there. Um, do I think he's going to lead his team to a Super Bowl one year? No, I don't think he will. But I, I definitely think I can start to see a little bit about what you see in him and, and what kind of quarterback he can be. Uh, and I'm still I'm still open to him becoming a good quarterback. I just once again don't think he's going to be great or elite. But sometimes that's not what you need. Sometimes you just need a quarterback that's good and does what he needs to do to get your team where they need to go. So um, n- not that I dislike the guy. I think he's a great guy, and I hope he's uh, very successful. I just, once again, I still don't see him being great. But, dude, hell of a way to to kind of bounce back in such a short amount of time on Saturday. Just, Just think about this for a
1: second, though. So through high school, through college, and now two years in the NFL, he's never lost a game on Saturday night. The kid's won everywhere he's been. I mean, just the the maturing process that we've seen from last year to this year. I mean, obviously he came into a horrible situation last year that was going to throw anybody off. But, you know, you get a good head coach. And, you know, the fact that he has Travis Etienne back and healthy and the two of them are there together, I mean, you know, it brings back memories of what they did in all those years in Clemson. The kid's just a winner. You know, that's the thing is that nothing's going to rattle him. He knows how to win. He doesn't know how to lose. You know, he believes that he's going to win no matter what. You know, and that's, you know, a lot of quarterbacks in their first playoff game, they're down 27 to nothing. Coming out in that third quarter, they're going to throw a couple more interceptions and the thing's going to be 65 to nothing. You know, it'll be like the national championship game last week. But, you know, this kid believes he's going to win. He knows how to win. And so it didn't rattle him. He just came out there. Like you said, he he studied the plays. He made the, the changes that he needed to change. And he came out there with confidence and look what happened. You know, and we've seen him do it two weeks in a row now. You know, I mean, he's basically won two playoff games in a row the last two weeks because that Tennessee game was a playoff game for all intents and purposes last Sunday. Well, I mean, you had to wait to get in. You had to. I, yeah,
0: was, no, I was talking more. I was shaking my head more along the lines about he he, he won that game last week. No, the defense won that game well, last week.
1: They did, but he, he kept them in the game. He made plays when he had to. You know, I mean, he, he wasn't his best game, no, but he did make some throws when he needed to. Yeah, I mean, he made some unbelievable throws la- the other night on Saturday night this week. I mean, he in that second half, I mean, he was throwing lasers all over the place against San Diego. You said you don't think he's going to win a Super Bowl. I'm not sure because they've won now these two games. They've won six in a row. They've won eight out of nine. I'm almost I'm almost tempted because, like we just talked about. Yeah. I'm not sure how good Buffalo is at this point. I'm not sure how good Cincinnati is. Jacksonville reminds me a whole lot. You don't have to go very far to look and find a team that nobody thought was good enough to win a Super Bowl. Remember, let's just think about another number one draft pick that came out of college in his second year and took his team to a Super Bowl that he wasn't supposed to last year Joe Burrow and the Bengals. I can see a, I can see a situation where... Jacksonville does that. I can see them beating Kansas City. I can see them getting into that championship game. I can get them, see them going to the Super Bowl. I really can't. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, and it's probably not going to happen, and I'll probably pick the Chiefs to win, but I can see a scenario where Jacksonville wins that game just because they believe in it. They're battle-tested. They believe they're going to win now. They know that they can come back from big deficits. Like we said, we've, they've done it two weeks in a row now when they had to. And so uh, they're going to be a really tough out for whoever they play. And, you know, it's crazy. You know, the AFC's got so much talent, especially a quarterback. And then you look at the NFC and you're like, they got what? I mean, just think about this for a second. If I told you that a quarterback, the first quarterback ever had a game where he threw for 300 yards, two touchdowns, and ran for 70 yards in a game. And I said, okay, look at the quarterbacks that played this week. Who do you think that was going to be? Would Daniel Jones be the name that came to the top of your lips? I mean, how does that happen? The guy was horrible. I still, anytime I think of Daniel Jones, I think about him running down the middle of the field wide
0: open and tripping over his own feet. (laughs) Yes, yes, he did do that. But like I said, and this is exactly what, you know, Giants fans have seen, he is another Eli Manning. I mean, he grew up, he went to the Eli Manning training, the camps, all that stuff. He emulated himself after Eli Manning. And that's exactly what you're seeing. You know, Manning is another guy that you look at and you go, yeah, he's not going to be a guy that runs all over the field or does this or does that. But his most famous play was being able to escape a sack and throw that ball to David Tyree. He knows he's a smart quarterback. He's, you know, Peyton Manning, it's his younger brother. He learned what Peyton did, built off of that, made it fit into his mold. And Daniel Jones is kind of doing the same way. And then you've got Mr. Irrelevant, who's now pretty damn relevant and Brock Purdy, who I can't believe you're going to say this, but he might be the best quarterback in the NFC currently. Not saying he's the best one overall, but currently with the team that he has around him and the ability that he has to get the ball to those guys, maybe the best quarterback left in the NFC. It helps that you've got Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle and all the stuff that goes around that. But you have to be able to make those throws as well. I mean, we saw it yesterday in Miami. Uh, well, not in Miami, but for Miami. You know, Thompson made some really good throws, but if your team can't catch the ball, it doesn't matter. You could have had Tom Brady out there in his prime. And if those guys are dropping the balls, it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. So, you know, he's making the throws, his teammates are making the catches. So he's up there for sure. And and he he might be the guy that leads the 49ers back to the Super Bowl because if you look at that NFC, no team out there really Scares you in a sense outside of the 49ers. I think just because of their defense and what they bring offensively, they're probably the team to beat. But just like you like the Jaguars in the AFC, I could also see the Giants making a run as well because they are a battle tested team. They've gone through the tough NFC East. They've got a a quarterback that kind of knows how to win. They've got, I mean, if Saquon Barkley's playing the way he played yesterday, the rest of the playoffs, holy fuck, you better watch out because he yeah. is going to run rampant over your defense the entire game. So, you know, the Giants and Jaguars might be that that under-the-radar potential Super Bowl matchup that no one really thinks about. But I tell you what, that, that could be a very fun one if it does get to that point. But I, I just don't see the Jags going into Casey and, and winning a game like that because, you know, like you said, you put it right there. They've gone down big in each of the last two weeks and had to come back against both the Titans and the Chargers. You can't go down big against the chiefs and expect to come back and win. It's happened before. Yes. But I just don't see it being the case. Uh, if they go down big against the chiefs next week.
1: Although you know, we saw it the FC championship game last year, you know, the chiefs had a 13 point lead at halftime and then pretty much stopped playing and Cincinnati came back and win. So, you know, I mean, it's possible. I don't, like I said, I don't think it's likely, but I, I can see it happening because you know Kansas City is kind of Kansas City is kind of iffy. You know, we've seen them go through you know periods where they don't do, do they don't look good for two or three quarters. So you know, it's going to be really interesting. Jumping back to the NFC quarterback thing, you know, like I said, I, I think Trevor Lawrence might be the fifth best quarterback in the league already. I was trying to come up with quarterbacks in the AFC. It was like okay. So you've got Mahomes, you've got Allen, you've got Burrow, you've got Herbert, you've got Trevor Lawrence. You know, I put them at the top five. Then I went, okay, who are the top five in the NFC? And I'm like, uh, I couldn't come up with one. Could you even think five? No. Can, can, you, can you tell me who the best five? I mean, think about it. I mean, is Jalen Hurts the best quarterback in the NFC? I don't think so. Daniel Jones, probably not. Dak Prescott. I mean, the Redskins don't have one. Aaron Rodgers isn't. Kirk Cousins isn't. Uh, the quarterback in Detroit, I can't even think of his name right now. Uh, the kid from the Rams. Uh, Stafford? No, in Detroit. Uh, they came from the Rams. Jeff, uh, oh, what is his name? Why can't I think of his name? From Oregon? He came from the Rams. In the Stafford trade. Oh, uh, Detroit. Jeff. Golf. That's it. I, could, I blanked. I could see it, but I couldn't think he was in. But, you know, golf's not the best quarterback. Justin Fields isn't very good. You know, when you look at the West, Seattle, Geno Smith's not – I mean, there just isn't one. I mean, the Saints don't have a quarterback. The Falcons don't have a quarterback. The Panthers don't have a quarterback. You know, Kyler Murray's out for probably most of next year. San Francisco, who knows who their quarterback will be next year. They've got like five of them now. Um, you know, I mean – Literally, it's like who is a good quarterback in the NFC?
0: Yeah, there, there really isn't an elite quarterback whatsoever in the NFC. I mean, I think the guy that is probably the closest would be a Jalen Hurts, but even then, you just you're not entirely sure. I mean, you could you could pin it on it because in the games he didn't play this year, they looked really really bad. So yeah. he, he's a guy that can go in there and, and definitely change the complexion of a game for sure. So if you're a, to pick the best quarterback in the NFC. I think it is Jalen hurts, but once again, that comes with that, that question mark on the end of it is, is he actually the best quarterback in in the NFC? And, you know, you might see one of the guys from the AFC making that transition over to the NFC. I mean, Derek Carr is out in, in Vegas. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if one of these NFC teams tries to jump on him and, and bring him in and, you know, you've got, you got a couple of free agent coaches out there that might be somebody that could affect the, the complexion in the NFC as well. You know, Sean Payton is one of those guys that might be taking a job in the NFC. So there, there's a lot of moving pieces that will happen in the offseason that may change things. But right now, it just seems like the AFC is completely dominant at this moment.
1: So going back to the coach thing real quick, can you explain to me why Jim Harbaugh and Sean Payton are fighting over who's going to be the Broncos quarterback like or head coach? why would you want to deal with that Russell Wilson disaster and differ?
0: Uh, I have no idea, but uh, I know Jim Harbaugh finally answered that question because today he did come out essentially and say he's staying at Michigan. So I think he, he? he finally got kicked in the head hard enough that, uh, that he made that decision to go, Oh yeah, I don't want to go coach Russell Wilson. Why, why would I want to do that? Uh, so yeah, Jim Harbaugh is staying at Michigan. So all you Wolverines fans out there. Yeah. They had a crushing defeat to TCU, but uh, I, I think you're still pretty happy that, that Harbaugh is going to stick around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of places that I think I'd rather go coach to Denver. I mean, you know, that's Sean Payton's apparently interested in that. I also heard he was interested in Houston. It's like,
0: wait, what, why? I mean, unless he's thinking he can get the same kind of treatment that Bill O'Brien got down there and, and actually be better off at it to where maybe he can mold a team in his image and go from there, I I guess that might be the only thing. Because it is kind of a blank slate down there in Houston, but it's a blank They don't really slate. have a quarterback. They don't really have a running back. They don't, they don't have a receiver.
1: They don't have a defense. They don't have a – you and I could go down there and be their starting quarterback and running back next week <laughs> if we wanted to.
0: If you want to pay me a couple million
1: dollars, I don't mind it. There's a lot of perks in Houston, apparently, too. If you're the starting quarterback, they take care of a lot of things for you now. There,
0: hey, I got a girlfriend now. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy. Well, yeah, I mean, you got the game going on tonight Dallas and Tampa. Last I checked, it was a six nothing Dallas lead. It's now, uh, now a 12 nothing Cowboys lead as uh Prescott. Runs it in for a touchdown, but, but here is the interesting piece. Uh, their kicker, Brett Maher has missed two extra points tonight. And we all know how important kicking is in playoff games. Uh, it's something that you might want to keep an eye on as Maher has missed both of the extra points. So just a 12, nothing lead for the Cowboys right now over the Buccaneers. Tom Brady seven to 15, 52 yards in a pick, and that's about it as far as Tampa's concerned. They have not looked good, and that Dallas defense has has done enough.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what Dallas is going to win with their defense. Their defense can shut people down, and if they can run the ball, you you just hope that Dak doesn't make big mistakes trying to force the ball downfield, which he's so prone to do. But you know, your kicking your kicker missing two extra points. Yeah, what are the chances that Tom Brady's going to make you pay for that late in the playoff game?
0: Uh, yeah, the, the chances are pretty good. I, I'll say that for sure. Uh, let's touch on uh, college basketball real quick before we get out of here. Uh, just talking quickly about Mizzou, Illinois, and Slu. Mizzou, they they cracked the top twenty-five a couple of weeks ago, but uh, their their shooting has gone a bit cold. Abs of late, they've suffered two straight losses, Texas A&M and Florida this past week, and. It does not get any easier this week as they host number twenty-five Arkansas on Wednesday and number four Alabama on Saturday. Uh, we we kind of had a feeling that, that Mizzou was a bit ahead of themselves by getting into that top twenty-five with the the way they were playing, especially against Illinois, uh, with with Gates being you know in his first year. Um, were we expecting a little bit too much after that that big win? That we're like, yeah, they got into the top twenty-five. They're playing well. They're going to be a, a contender this year. Or is it just a growing pace? I mean, this is a team that's kind of brand new, and they're just still learning to play together.
1: Yeah, and they're not very good defensively. You know, they have to outscore people to win. You know, when their shooting's cold, they're going to struggle. You know, we saw that happen. We've seen that happen in a couple of their losses. You know, they get out to that big lead in Arkansas at Bud Walton Arena, which we know is a tough place to play. And Mizzou blows them out in the first quarter. Then their offense goes cold in the second half. And their defense can't make up for it. And they end up losing that game close. You know, they jumped out to an 11-0 lane in Florida. You know, big lane against the Gators. And then their offense goes cold and their defense just isn't good enough to make up for it. So they've got to be able to outscore people. You know, Kobe Brown can't get in foul trouble, which we've seen happen quite a bit here in the last two or three games. So, I mean, they're still going to be a good team. They're going to be a tournament team more than likely. You know, they'll probably be a 7 or an 8 seed. And, you know, it's going to be one of those things where if they're off, if their shooting is on, they can beat anybody in the country and they could make a deep run. If they struggle shooting the ball, they could be out in the first round. You know, and that's just the team they are right now. But uh, it's exciting. It's a lot better basketball than what we've seen from
0: Mizzou in the last, you know, 10 years, basically. It certainly is. It certainly is something that you can kind of get excited about as a Tigers fan. And like I said, if they get if they can get into the tournament, maybe make a little noise, maybe pull off an upset. That that'd be a, a good little bit of a cap to that first year under under Coach Gates. <laughs> Illinois uh, just got done knocking off Minnesota, seventy eight sixty. They started Big Ten playoff zero and three. And now they've rattled off four straight wins to carry a big win against uh, Wisconsin a couple weeks ago. They're now four and three in conference play and got a couple of winnable games coming up against Indiana and Ohio State uh, at home. But Illinois is another team that you, know, you look at definitely going to be going dancing this year. And if they can continue to dominate in the paint, they're going to be a very, very tough out and another one of those teams that could surprise people. Yeah. You know, they got off to a slow start, a bunch of new guys on that team, but they're starting to come together a little bit, starting to play
1: better defense. Their scoring's picked up a little bit. And yeah, like you said, they're going to be a team that by the time you get to tournament time, are probably going to figure things out and they're going to be tough, you know? And so it'll, they'll be fun to watch down the road and, you know, kind of the same thing with Slu. Slew's been up and down, but they have seemed to straighten things out a little bit here the last couple of weeks they are tied for the lead in the eight, 10 right now at four and one. So, you know, I think the Billikens are another team that, you know, I think they're probably going to have to win the A-10 tournament to get into the big dance, but they're a team that has enough talent that when they're healthy, you know, they can beat anybody in the country, or at least play with them as well.
0: Oh, very, very true. They, uh, they're they heading to Loyola, Chicago on Wednesday, and then they host LaSalle on Saturday. But it'll, it'll be that first week or so in February that will probably give you a real taste of what SLU can actually do as they – Will take on the two teams they're tied with right now at the top of the A10. They're going to be at home against VCU on the third, and then they travel to Dayton on February 10th. Uh, both those games could be big keys as to you know how this team finishes out the the regular season. They also finish up, I believe, the last two games are against both Dayton and VCU. Flip flop. They'll be on the road to VCU and home against Dayton. So uh, another big you know set of games coming up for SLU. And they're going to do it without Fred Thatch, who both of us know, once again, going back to our, our Cape Girardeau-Sykeston days, uh, ended up missing the rest of this season. And that, that's it for him. He he has done, forego the remainder of his eligibility uh, for college. And one of those players that you know maybe didn't get as much of his name out there as he could at the college level, uh, was great in high school down at Sykeston, but I think had a very, very good career at SLU. Could be one of the top players in Billiken's history and is also a really, really, really good person.
1: Yeah. Good person. Good player. You know, he ran into some injury issues in his years at SLU, but yeah, he was definitely a great player. Like you said, he's a legend down South as far as a high school basketball player. People in Sykeston love them for Fred Thatch. The nice thing about SLU though, is they've got a freshman that stepped up and played the minutes and is starting to come into his own a little bit and people that are Billiken fans know the name and his dad's been in the crowd watching him play and that would be one Mr. Larry Hughes Jr. who's starting to uh, starting to feel himself a little bit as a freshman and starting to figure it out just a little bit.
0: Oh darn! A slew team led by a guy named Larry Hughes Jr. That'd just be a terrible, terrible thing to to see going forward. A, a successful Billikins team led by Larry Hughes. Oh darn! Yeah, yeah, and we we've never seen that before either. You know, those Hughes guys aren't really that no, great. No. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all. And if Larry Hughes wants to come on and you know talk about his greatness, totally, totally would love to have Larry Hughes on because I remember. Him back in the day, he he was one of those guys that uh, I definitely, definitely enjoyed watching uh, in, in middle school and high school. And yes, that's kind of aging myself and maybe not making Mr. Hughes feel very good about his age at the moment either.
1: Hey, no, I, I'm, I'm sure Larry feels good. He's glad people remember because he was an absolute stud to watch on the basketball court in high school and college and during his NBA career, which he had a very ex- distinguished NBA career for a long time as well. And. I'm just gonna throw this offer out there. If Larry Hughes senior, Larry Hughes Jr. and oh, I don't know, if his godson would like to join, you know, we could we could have a guy named Justin Tatum sit in with us too. We could have a round table. Hey, I'll I'll even I'll even take Tatum Sr. And bring Jason in too. We can we can talk to a couple of basketball coaches, a couple of
0: NBA legends, and some up and comers. It'd be a good time. I, I yeah, I mean we don't talk about the NBA or or basketball enough on the show. I, I think that's something we need to remedy very very quickly by having guys on that that actually know uh know the game and, and the way things go about
1: yep we can have Jason like I said we can have Jason Tatum come in people forget you know Justin's dad was a hell of a basketball player coming out of CBC him and Larry Hughes him and Larry Hughes were scary scary won a couple of state championships going into Slough and then Jason unfortunately had knee injuries as he entered his freshman year at SLU and was never really able to recover and be the player that he had the potential to be, but went on to become a great basketball coach and has a great son who's doing great things and has won a couple of state championships as a coach. So, like I said, the offer is out there. All four of you
0: guys are more than welcome to join us at any point in time. And you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll even buy the Emo's that night. We'll send it to you. We'll send you an Emo's pizza on the night that, uh, that you guys come on the show. I mean, that's just the, the kind of great people we are. There you go. There you go. They can't say no now. They can't. No, they can't. They can't. Uh, all Oh, right. Well, we've talked your ears off long enough. It was great to be back here. First show of the new year. Game OX's Tom Ackerman joined us earlier. Thank you once again for him coming on uh, after such a long and busy weekend. We can't thank him enough, and it's always a, a joy to have him on. And we can't thank him enough for all the help he's given us in, in getting guests and coming on and just talking about you know what we want to do and what he does do. Uh, it's definitely a, a big boost for us. And right now, Blues up 2-0 in the second period over the Ottawa Senators looking to pick up that 2,000th franchise victory. That's the second non-original six team to reach that mark as well. And, and make sure you guys get out there and, and just to support your local sports programs out there, whether it's you know youth sports, whether it's high school sports, college sports, even if there's a professional sports team out there that maybe we don't talk out uh, enough about, maybe like the Ambush. I don't know something along those lines. Get out there and support those those programs and those those teams and those players because you know they do a lot to kind of help us forget the drudgery of everyday life. Uh, no matter if they win or lose, it's always great to go out there and, and just have a nice time and enjoy that. So get out there, and who knows? Maybe if you're out there, you might see one of your favorite local broadcasters out there doing a game here and there. You stop by and say hi. You never know who you might run into. Just get out, get
1: out, and support sports. On the high school professional
0: levels. Very, very, very true. Well, Scott, always good to be back with you. Hopefully we'll be able to get this going more on a weekly basis now that uh, things have kind of settled down after the holiday season. Uh, We'll definitely be back as much as we possibly can. Hopefully bringing on some other big name guests as well to talk about sports locally and across the country as well. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Go out there, watch the rest of this Blues game. Hopefully root on a Blues victory for sure. And then make sure to just watch out for our our socials and we'll let you know the next time that we're on and and who we may have coming on the show as well. So for Scott Tobin, I am Michael Wags, Wagon Connect. Thank you guys for joining us. And we will see you guys here in the new year. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the Man Called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.